Welcome to the Creek with Church podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to download our new free app, which is the best way to listen to messages and keep up with everything happening at Creekwood Church. We hope this message inspires you and helps you discover practical ways to live a life of purpose. Enjoy. Well, it is an honor and a privilege to be with you this morning. I, um, as Kendall was saying, you know, I've, I've been here with Creekwood for a while, and this never gets old to be able to share with you guys. I love this church, and I love each and one of you. Um, just simply because you're here and a lot of you are involved in our lives already. Well, today we're going to be discussing the second part of the domino effect. Specifically, we're going to be talking about the domino effect in our families. I just thought as we get ready to celebrate dads next week, right? Dads, come on. Dads, right? We got some cool dads here at Creekwood, right? If you got a cool dad, if your husband's a cool dad, can we make some noise? Well, maybe I shouldn't say that because it can be you're silent, then we don't have any cool dads. I'm just kidding. All right. Anyway, we're celebrating Father's Day next week. So we'll take some time this week to talk about what God's pattern is for our families. And even though we're talking about families, um, I just want to let you know that no one is excluded. Okay. God has wisdom for you to apply today, no matter what your situation is. We're going to be talking about marriage, talking about parents, talking about kids. So you are in one of those categories. And I also want to be sensitive to the fact that, that I realize that, that, that some of us, especially in a room this size, we've experienced the pain of divorce or for various reasons. You may be single, whether it's a widow situation or whether you just never have been married. But I just want you to know that God has something for you today. There is hope in every situation that is represented in this room today. And I hope that you walk away with that. Well, before we get into the word, I just got to do a shout out for Creekwood Kids. I've had the privilege of volunteering back there uh, for the last few months, and I am totally amazed. My heart has been like, wow, so blessed, and my mind has been blown at what Stephanie Baird and Sierra Henderson do back there. They orchestrate an amazing experience for our kids. All the volunteers back there do a wonderful job of getting on the kids' level, not just in their words and how they communicate, but physically, like you see them on the floor with the kids, you know, looking eye to eye. And it is a tremendous resource, especially we talk about families today. If you don't know what goes on back there, get to know what goes on back there. As a matter of fact, Stephanie had asked me this, but some of you need to go back there and volunteer because I will tell you, it'll, it'll change your world and it'll be a blessing to you. The second thing I want to tell you guys before we get into the word is that um, this is just a disclaimer. My family and I are not perfect. The closest one to perfection in my family is my wife, Kim, and she is really, really close. But none of us, none of us are, are perfect. You know, we go through the same things you do. We can't decide on what movies to watch. We struggle with where we're going to go eat. We go on vacation and kind of argue about the different plans. We go through all of that. As a matter of fact, some dad moments that I've had is, you know, I have the most gorgeous and beautiful daughter in the whole wide world. And when she was two years old, you know, and around that age, I'd sweep her up and I would sing to her. I used to call her Pretty Pretty and see so make up all these songs about Pretty Pretty. So we're in our house and I put her on my shoulders and I'm just going through the house singing these songs about Catherine. And all of a sudden, boom, I wasn't paying attention. I hit her head on the doorframe. Talk about dad fail, right? But then I got two boys. I got Landry and, and Jonah. Landry's 18. As a matter of fact, Catherine and Landry just graduated high school. So pray for me and Kim, right? Um, 
But Jonah is going to the eighth grade, so Landry likes to pick on Jonah. And Landry's got this thing where he is this challenged himself, right? He's this kind of guy who likes to set goals for himself. He's challenged himself to give Jonah the most epic wedgies as possible right? And so guys, we're just wrestling and everything. And so they get this, that's just what guys do. So I walk in the room one day and Landry's got Jonah and he has his underwear like almost over Jonah's head. It is like ripping. And he's like, I'm going to get it over his head. And I'm just cracking up, laughing at it. And then comes Kim like, you're the dad. You shouldn't be letting this happen. Right? So talk about dad fails. We, I get them all the time. I could go on and on about, about that stuff. But we, we do have the same struggles that, that, that you guys do as well. Well, our scripture text today is in Mark chapter 15 and Ephesians chapter 5. So let's start. We're talking about one of my favorite domino effects in the Bible. It's in Mark chapter 15, and it reads... And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander Rufus, to carry his cross. Simon of Cyrene. This is the only verse in the Bible that says anything about him. I mean, it's in all the gospels. There's one verse in each gospel about him. But this is all we know about Simon of Cyrene. So here's the situation. Jesus is on the path up to Golgotha where he will be crucified. He has been beaten. He's been spat upon. He's been hurled insults at. And there's this huge crowd there. And in the midst of that, this guy, it says a passerby, got, got grabbed and thrown into the mix to say, you pick up this cross that Jesus is carrying and you carry it for him. So literally, 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 Simon picks up the cross and follows Jesus' footsteps to the point where Jesus was crucified. All it says in the Bible is Simon's from Cyrene. He was coming in from the country. We don't know why he was coming in from the country. Maybe to the market, maybe just habit, whatever. Maybe he heard about all the spectacle about Jesus and wanted to come in and hear about it, see it, witness it. Who knows? But whatever it was, this, this positioned him to be in a place where he got thrown into something he just wasn't planning on doing. And the Bible is deliberate and says he's the father of Alexander and Rufus. So can you imagine his two boys sitting there watching his dad go through this situation because I got to believe that that had to be one of the most humiliating things to go through humanly because I can't imagine that, he, that Simon would have been welcomed. I got to imagine he was probably being, you know, throwing things at, insults at. He probably caught some of the pains that Jesus caught, you know, but I got to believe that that's got to be humiliating and to have your sons watch that. But I also got to believe that it's got to be incredibly one of the greatest spiritual experiences that anybody could ever have. You don't get that close to Jesus at that point in his earthly ministry and carrying his cross and not have some connection. I don't know if there was an outward conversation, inward conversation, but there had to be a connection. And then all of a sudden, boom, we don't hear about Simon anymore. It's all we know about Simon is Cyrene. But let's fast forward to Romans chapter 16. Romans chapter 16, verse 13 says, Greet Rufus, chosen the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. This is Paul. This is Paul writing to the Christian church in Rome. And he's going through this long list of tell, greet this person, greet that person. It's almost like, hey, tell, tell these people thank you for all their support. And he gets to this point where he says, greet Rufus. 
Greet Rufus and his mother as well, who has been a mother to me. So what is this telling you? It's telling you that we don't know what Simon did from the point that he was humiliated humanly, but had this incredible spiritual experience to the point where he died. But we do know he did one thing. He passed on a spiritual legacy to his family. And here we have Rufus being a help to the ministry of Paul, starting the early church. A major reason why you're here in church today, why the Bible is there. A major vessel that God's using in Paul and, and Rufus was helping him, not just helping him, but Paul says like a brother to him, right? We all have those guys. We have those guys that, that they're a friend, but they're really like a brother. They may have another mother, but, but they're, they're, they're a brother to me, right? That's what Paul is saying for Rufus. Don't just greet Rufus. Go get his mom because she's a mom to me. Rufus is my brother. What an incredible impact that Simon had through his domino effect. So I ask you today, what are you passing down? What are you passing down? Or better yet, ask yourself, what am I passing down? You know, I got to tell you, like Rufus, I'm the result of a domino effect from my father. My father grew up in the west side of San Antonio. He did not grow up in a Christian home. As a matter of fact, I never even met his dad, my grandfather, Charles. Charles died a year before I was born. His body failed him from years of alcohol abuse. Uh, my, my dad's mom didn't attend church or anything like that. Well, my dad went to high school in San Antonio. He met my mom, fell in love with her, and they got married at the age of 18, which if you're listening, kids, that is not a good idea. Okay. Um, but, but they got married at 18, and my dad had this problem before that. Before they got married, the problem he had was my mom's father, Raul, was a pastor of a church in San Antonio, and he would not let my parents officially date unless my dad started going to church with them. So through the course of events, my dad did this. Now, keep in mind, my, pa- my, my grandfather, Raul, pastored a bilingual, Pentecostal, charismatic, assembly God church. So this was like a boom, welcome to the NFL moment for you if you, don't, if you come from a little bit of a Catholic background, but no, no, no church, right? And then even at that, I believe the first sermon my dad heard was at the time that they were preaching about why going to football games on Friday nights was a sin, right? So, so but he stuck with it. He stuck with it, right? So he stuck with it. And, and, and more importantly, my grandfather stuck with it. You know, as a matter of fact, after my dad received Christ as his savior, he ended up going on dedicating his life to ministry and pastoring as well. But along the way, when he was dating my mom, my grandfather would say, hey, curfew's 10 o'clock, have Marlene home by 10. But my grandfather would keep my dad there till 12 midnight or 1 in the morning playing chess, um, which is really kind of funny. I guess it'd be the equivalent of dads keeping your, your, uh, your daughter's suitors around playing Xbox or something. I don't know. But, but the point is, is my grandfather... My grandfather poured into my dad's life and made a difference. And I owe my life and the life of my kids to the domino effect that my dad, my mom, and my grandfather had, which is very powerful because when you think about it, this domino effect is generational. It is generational. And as with anything in life, when you think about generations, think about family, whatever, as with anything in life, If you want God's blessings, you must follow God's patterns. If you want God's blessings, you must follow God's patterns. And God's pattern for the family is found throughout the Bible. 
It is all over the Bible. There is not one place you go to, one specific place and say, oh, well, there's God's book on parenting. There's God's book on marriage. There's God's book on family. There is God's book on grandparenting. No, it is all over the Bible. As a matter of fact, I believe God instituted the family in order for us to understand who he is how he loves, and the relationship that he wants to have with us. Think about it. Whether you're talking about Jesus Christ as the bridegroom and we, the church, as his bride, or you're talking about God the Father and we, his children, throughout the whole Bible, that is the gospel. That is the gospel. The way God instituted family is a physical representation of what he intends the gospel to be. So let's dig into God's perspective for marriage, parents, and kids. And again, no one is excluded. We all fit into one or more of these categories. And again, I'm telling you, I I know that some of you have gone through heartbreaking times, but I just can't say enough just how much hope there is in Christ, how much hope there is in the Word of God. So let's dig into this. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. We're going to read Ephesians 5, 22, all the way to Ephesians 6, 1, 4. Um, and the reason we're going to, 6, 1, 4, that didn't make sense. All the way through Ephesians 6, 4, sorry. We're going to read 1 through 4. Anyway, the reason we're going to read this long text is because um, it has to be read together. It is a unit that you need to digest while you understand God's plan for the family. If you pick it apart and say, this is for wives, this is for husbands, even though it kind of reads that way, you won't get the message. So let's read this together, or let's, let me just read this out. Follow along, please. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. Now, wives, stay with me. Stay with me. Don't get mad. Okay, stay with me. Uh, His body and is himself its savior. Now, as a church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. That is a passage that I just urge you guys to even read when you're at home because I think God will just give you more and more insights every day about what his intention is for your family. But today, I want to focus on one thing. I know the word submit is strange for us to hear. And if you... If ladies, if you had some tomatoes, you might have thrown them at me by now, right? But what we need to understand here is the context of the scripture and the culture of the times in order to extract the wisdom that God is speaking to us. 
And here, if you read the full chapters of Ephesians chapter 5 and chapter 6, what you find is Paul is giving the church this prescription for holy living. Remember, this is a new thing. It is a new church. And he's saying, if you are following Christ, here's the prescription given our culture, given our times, given your commitment to God that you need to, are given the new covenant. This is how you should behave. This is how you should act, right? And in that, he's giving this instruction for the household. As a matter of fact, when he talks about the church body like we are here, he even uses the word submit at that point. He says, submit, therefore, to one another. Right? Does that mean that I'm saying, oh, you're going to rule over me and I'm going to rule over you? No. Saying submit, like care for each other, serve each other, you know, um, be concerned for each other. It's what he's trying to say. And in the context of the husband and wife relationship, the idea of wives submitting to husbands has more to do with the fact that women in that day did not typically, typically have a voice in the community, in politics, in religion. And Paul is charging the husbands to give their wives a voice and to sacrifice for them as Christ first sacrificed for us. In other words, as a man, you had this right to speak up, right? And what Paul is saying, hey, you know, wives and husbands, right? Let's, let's do this together. You know, husbands, make sure that you understand your wife's concerns about these things so that you can represent her as well. You can build her up and support her. Don't just make it all about you. Now, Paul is telling us two things when you boil it all down with this. The first is, he's telling us when you read all that context together, is the marriage relationship should model the love that Christ has given the church and the willingness of the church to give themselves to serve Christ. That's the relationship he's asking to model. The second thing he's telling us is the husband and wife should work together to support and champion each other in the home and the community. So what this does, it leads us to a very important point in understanding God's pattern for family. And the very first point I want you to leave with today is the goal of marriage is unity, not happiness. The goal of marriage is unity, not happiness. Happiness is a byproduct. God speaks in terms throughout the Bible of covenant relationships as opposed to contract agreements. Contracts are motivated by the desire to get something. In a covenant relationship, people make unconditional promises. Contracts are self-seeking. What can I get out of it? What's the benefit to me? Covenants are selfless serving. Broken contracts have backlash and penalties. Broken covenants have forgiveness and restoration. And what God is telling you today for his pattern is your marriage needs to be based on a covenant, not a contract. I can tell you I'm living proof. I am living proof of a covenant relationship because I'm so blessed to have Kim. I have messed up time and time again, and time and time again she comes back in, and I'll tell you something is she has taught me what it means to forgive. She's taught me what it means to uh, restore. She's taught me what it means uh, to accept grace. And I can tell you, when you have a relationship where you actually have a partner that's promoting those things, it does wonders for you, right? As a matter of fact, the words in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31, um, are fascinating when it says, um, the words shall become one flesh. And in wedding ceremonies, we hear, you know, the man will leave the father and mother, will hold fast or cleave to the wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Well, What's interesting is the words shall become imply a process. 
right? It doesn't say suddenly because they're married, now they're one. It says they shall become one, they shall become one flesh. What I love about this, we talked about the mar- or the family being a model of the gospel, right? Well, Paul also urges us in other writings, he says, work out your salvation. It is a daily thing. You are saved by the grace of God. You've accepted Jesus in your heart. But every day, you need to work out the sanctification process to be growing in Christ, to be imitating Christ, to become one with Christ. That is an everyday activity that you need to be doing. And Paul is using the same words here, saying, now that you're married, by the way, every day, you need to work out the process to become unified as a couple. Unity to become unified, to become one flesh, to become one is a daily process for a man and a woman that are in a marriage relationship. So the words in this passage are clear. Wives, approach your relationship with your husbands as you approach your relationship with Christ. Give yourself up for him. Give yourself up for him. Husbands, approach your relationship with your wife in the same way that Christ approaches his relationship with the church Give yourself up for her. Give yourself up for her. And what this scripture is really telling us is to prioritize unity over happiness. That's the goal. That, that's your goal is unity. Now, the responsibility you have as a spouse, you know what the number one responsibility you have as a spouse? It might blow your mind, but that is to prepare your spouse for eternity. If you are both in this race, if you're both in this race following Christ, then that means that you, you've just signed up for a permanent race partner, a permanent race partner. And as a Christian, your goal is to reach heaven one day and to have God look at you and say, well done, good and faithful servant. That is our goal. That is our goal to serve Christ, make it there, and then worship him for eternity, right? Well, I got to tell you, that as a husband, I've got to do everything that I can to help Kim grow in Christ so that she reaches that goal one day for herself when God looks at her and says, well done, good and faithful servant. And Kim's got to do the same thing for me to make sure that I am growing in Christ every day so that I will reach my goal where God will look at me and say, well done, good and faithful servant. I don't know what that day really is going to look like. I don't know what's going to be said. I don't know how it's going to happen. But I got to tell you, just like when you go see your kids win something, get a trophy, get an award, whatever, right? I want to be there when God tells Kim, well done, good and faithful servant, because I want to be proud. I want to be happy. I want to know that, that we finished our race. And that's how we, but that is your number one job as a spouse. So with this in mind, let's go to our second point. Communicate a vision for your family. Communicate a vision for your family. Proverbs twenty nine eighteen says, where there is no vision, no revelation of God and his word, the people are unrestrained, but happy and blessed is he who keeps the law of the Lord. The key word here is unrestrained. And I don't have a lot of time to go into it, but I will just say this. Doesn't unrestrained and kids sort of just sound bad? That doesn't that isn't sound very good, right? So what God is, what this scripture is saying is, if you haven't cast a vision for your family, then your family is walking around unrestrained, meaning you will go out and try anything and everything, right? And but saying happy and blessed those who keep the law of the Lord. So if you think about this, what we're saying by vision I'm not asking you to go off and develop a CEO-level vision. I'm just saying take the time to think about the future of your family. Take the time to think about what is it going to be in three years? 
four years, five years. Where is your family headed? Think about the standards you will live by, the principles you will uphold, the scriptures that drive you toward the promises you believe God has for your family. Because establishing godly vision today will keep you from falling for ungodly things tomorrow. Establishing godly vision today will keep you from falling for ungodly things tomorrow. Why resist a temptation in the future if you can eliminate it today? And you do that by establishing the word of God in your home. We did this again. Like I said, Kim is close to perfect in my life. And she, um, she came across a devotion by Rick Warren. And out of that, she said, hey, I kind of like this for our family to, to live by this. And we talked about it. And this is what we've established as our family vision. And again, remember, we are not perfect. We have a long way to go. But Philippians 1, 9 through 11. And if you find this ministers to you, I encourage you to steal it too, right? Because we stole it from somebody else anyway. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So that boils down to four statements for us. In our home, we will grow in love, make wise choices, live with integrity, and become like Jesus. Grow in love make wise choices, live with integrity, and become like Jesus. Now, we don't get up and make our kids recite that every day, just so you know. But we do have it prominently displayed or displayed in our home, so we reference it from time to time. And if something comes up, a decision needs to be made, a discussion occurs, we hearken back to this, and it serves as a filter for things that are going on in our lives. So setting a vision today will give you power for tomorrow. And setting a vision is part of the charge that God gives heads of households. And I use that on purpose because if you're married, it's heads of households. If you're single, you're still head of household. You know, but you have have that, that, that charge of God to set this vision. If dads and moms are not doing this today and you're a child in here, I firmly believe that God will honor if you spark it. Kids, if you want a vision for your family, your dad or mom are not doing it, you do it. Just lay it down. I guarantee you God will honor that. Just take the time to pray about it, to think about it, and to communicate what the future of your family could be. So we've talked about the primary goal for marriage being unity, the need to communicate a vision. So the third point I want to bring to you today is talk about life before life happens. Talk about life before life happens. We previously read in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, It instructed fathers to not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. You know, at the high level, what this means is you don't want to give them unduly punishments and unreasonable expectations. It's talking about be there for your kids, not just when they need you, but be there, right? How do you spell love? T-I-M-E, right? That's how you spell love, T-I-M-E. And your job is to prepare them for life, a life filled with God's presence, This is the best way to bring them up in the instruction and discipline of the Lord. When we talk about the concept of talking about life before life happens, what we're saying is you have to be, you have to set a a culture or an environment of open, honest, and transparent and vulnerable conversations. You've got to be willing to talk. You've got to be willing to talk. Life is messy. Our society is evil, right? We live in a fallen world. 
And you have to be willing to talk about how those things impact your children before it impacts your children. So think about this. There's two examples I will give you that are excellent things to talk about before they actually happen. Sex and friends, right? Don't wait for sex to be a problem before you talk about it. And I'm not just talking about the talk about where do babies come from, the birds and the bees, or if you're saying you better not be doing that, or the flawed perspective of, well, if you do it, at least be safe, right? No, I'm not talking. What I'm talking about is at the appropriate age, have a conversation with your kids about what it is, what God intended it for, ways that man has distorted it, and even the evil that people do to exploit it. Because guys, whether you admit it or not, I mean, we have a society that has done evil, evil things to exploit sex in boys and girls. And, and you've got to allow your kids to be aware of these things and be strong enough to withhold these temptations, especially with, if, if they've got phones, right? I hate to put it this way, but if they got a phone, it's sort of like having porn in a pocket. And I guarantee you they're not going to volunteer and say, hey, dad, hey, mom, look what I saw. But you know what? If you bring it up before it happens... I guarantee you, you're going to set yourself up for wonderful conversations that you couldn't imagine you had with your kids. The second thing I will tell you is don't wait for bad influence to creep into your kids' lives. Talk about the qualities of good friendships in advance of bad ones happening. Then in the moment, you can reinforce what you've already taught rather than trying to teach, correct, and change all in the same moment. Um, I'll throw this out there. There's a material from an a, a organization called Family Life. Uh, Kim and I use it. It's called Passport to Purity. You know, we, we uh, use, that, use that material. I took Landry away for a weekend, and Catherine took, uh, Kim took Catherine away for a weekend. And this material was great at just explaining all, everything that your child needs to know in these areas about bodies changing, friends changing, sex, and all the good things and bad things that happened I just talked about. And it will help is when somebody else is saying it, it's a lot easier to talk about it. But after that moment, after that weekend, I can tell you my conversations with Landry have been phenomenal. I am totally grateful to God the things that he brings to me. And, and I, I, would, I don't regret it at all. So let's go to our final point today. God has a plan for your children. It just may not be your plan. God has a plan for your children. It just may not be your plan. As a parent, your job is to cultivate, not control. As a son or daughter, your job is to obey and honor your parents. So what are you cultivating in your children? Play with me for a second. If you plant cucumbers, you get what? If you plant peppers, you get? Let's try again. If you plant cucumbers, you get? If you plant peppers, you get? If you plant nothing, you get? You get weeds. You're all wrong. The reason I say that is because something will grow in your kids' hearts. Something will grow in your kids' hearts. You must be deliberate because if you're not deliberate, you'll lose them. And when you lose them, you're either going to blame them and not have a relationship. You're going to blame yourself and never recover. But what you got to be able to do is you got to be able to have it, be deliberate in what you cultivate into their hearts. Let me just give you a quick example I love, I love our city. I love Mansfield. And I love the fact that, that we have a lot of sports in Mansfield, right? And, and I'm just going to say, like, sports are wonderful, right? But, but to put this in perspective, if you're hoping for, if you're investing in your child in sports because you want them to get that scholarship or uh, go play pro or whatever, let me just give you some numbers here, right? Um, tell you what you're up against in this. 
So um, I had the privilege of playing for, um, in college for a gentleman named Forrest Gregg, who was a Hall of Famer um, in, in the NFL. He died a couple months ago, and I went to his funeral. And at his funeral, the president of the NFL Hall of Fame got up to give part of the eulogy. And in there, he was talking about the greatness that my college football coach was. And he used these numbers. He said, four million youth play football before college. That's boys and girls at the club level, the junior high level, the high school level, play football before college. Only 300,000 of them continue to play in college at some level. Division one, two, three, NAIA, whatever. There's only 300,000 out of 4 million that continue to play. Out of that 300,000, 29,000 participate in the pros. And I say participate because in that 29,000, that includes head coaches, full rosters, referees, the staff it takes to run a football game, right? They include them all there. 29,000 of the 300,000. Of the 29,318 are in the Hall of Fame. Those are incredible odds if you are pushing your kids to be the best football player that they could possibly be. But let me say this. What my Bible tells me is 100% of those people that call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Salvation is for everyone. And as parents, that is the number one thing to cultivate. I know sports are a big deal in our community, and I love it. But don't waste your sports. Don't waste it on the hope of, of fame. Use it to teach your kids about God and life through their sports and other interests. When it comes to our children, we previously read in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1 through 3, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. Well, I just want to clarify for you because it plagued me for years. What is this promise? It says that you will have long life, you'll live long in the land, right? And it'll go well with you. What this is referring to is Paul is hearkening back to the Ten Commandments. And God gave Moses the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament when the Israelites were going into the promised land that God had given them, right? And what God is saying, these are the commandments you should live by. But what did God see? That the Israelites had a hard time honoring God and obeying God, right? They kept grumbling, right? And complaining about, oh, we would have been better back in Egypt. Oh, well, hey, let's get a golden calf. Let's worship it. You know, oh, why God's not even with us. We're wandering around for 40 years. It almost sounded like us going on vacation, right? Why are we here? What are we there? I could be home playing Xbox, right? Whatever, right? But it sounds like that. But what God did to say, I got to correct this. So if you look at all the 10 commandments, this is the only commandment with a promise. All the other ones are just statements. And what God is saying is Israel you guys have a hard time honoring and obeying me. So the way I'm going to teach you to do this is I'm going to tell you to honor and obey your earthly parents. And I'm going to give you a positive reward for this. Once again, God is using the family to correct a spiritual pillar in our relationship with him. God knows the strength of the family is important and he is forcing it in this issue. So when it comes down to it, guys, if we could just wrap this up, I believe our children naturally desire four things from parents. And they're up here on the screen. The first one is acceptance for their unique personalities, talents, and abilities. The second is a good example. The third is a strong foundation. And the fourth is love. Now, I put some scriptures next to those because those numbers represent what your kids really want. 
And there's scripture there to help you parents if you're struggling, if you have difficulty accepting the uniqueness of your children, meditate and ask God to speak through Psalms, that scripture I put up there. If you feel like you're not being a good example, there's a scripture there for you to go meditate on. If you feel like you don't fully understand the foundation there, go read that scripture, meditate on that scripture and so forth. That is for you parents. So I just conclude now by asking you, what are you passing down? What are you passing down? Just like Simon and Cyrene, you've had events in life happen to you. Things you didn't expect, things you didn't plan for. So what domino effect will you have on your family and generations to come? And I really want to hearken back and tell you guys that, again, it's never too late. It is never, you can start today. You can start that domino effect today. And one of the things I feel is very, very difficult for us, for whatever reason, as as families, is praying together. And I want to help you today start this domino effect. So I'm going to ask you guys to stand. And I'm going to ask Kim to come forward with me. And I know for some couples, it's difficult when you think about praying with each other. But can I tell you, um, Kim and I were talking about this earlier, and I just mentioned to her, I said, you know, what if we talk about this? And, you know, we've been praying together every day before the day starts for about a year. And she goes, Darren, it's been like five years. And I go, I'm just having so much fun, I guess. It just seemed like a year. But we started this. We had gone through some difficult times in our marriage. And Kim stepped up and said, hey, before you leave it, let me pray with you. And it was just this effect that we've kept up as, as much as possible. We've, we, we've kept it up every day for the last four or five years. And I know that it might be difficult for you as a couple, but I'm just asking you, if you're with your spouse, hold hands. Hold hands. If you're with your children, bring them in close. I don't care if it messes up the aisles or the rows. Bring them in close. And what I'm going to do for you today is I'm going to pray with Kim just like it were every day. Like I'm going to work tomorrow. I'm going to work today. And pray with me. And where I say, Kim, use your spouse's name. Where I say, Catherine, Landry, and Jonah, use your kid's name. And let this just be your push off the cliff to start your domino effect. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. And I thank you, God, for Kim and for our marriage. Father, today I ask you to show us more and more how we can grow in unity with each other and together with you, Father. God, I thank you for the uniqueness of Catherine Landry and Jonah that you've brought into our lives. Father, I pray that you show how strong you are through the lives of Catherine Landry and Jonah. I pray that you direct their steps, order their path. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thanks for listening to the Creekwood Church Podcast. If you live in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, we would love to have you engage in one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and more information about the ministries of Creekwood Church, please visit our website at creekwoodchurch.com.